So Felix Mendelssohn, who was a great composer, um, said this. He said, the essence of the beautiful is unity in variety. The essence of the beautiful is unity in variety. You have to think of this from a composer's perspective, right? A composer who writes symphonies and thinks of all the different instruments that are brought together, such incredible variety. And yet when they come together, they sing, they make music as one. And we said last week that this is one of the unique things about music. It almost gives us a tangible way to experience unity. In music, we experience the coming together of many different parts into one. And it's beautiful. And so Felix Mendelssohn is right. And, and, and there's, there's, there's hardly a better statement that you could make about this section in the book of Ephesians that we've been studying. It's a perfect description. Last week, we talked about unity. And this week, we're going to talk about diversity or uh, the variety, as Felix Mendelssohn puts it. And, and how the two, the interplay between the two is so critical, important. And not only are we going to discover that it's very beautiful, but we're going to discover that it's also very powerful. So would you open with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, the book of Ephesians chapter 4. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We'll give one to you. Um, don't be shy. Uh, we do this every week. Raise your hand. Uh, we'll pass a Bible to you. And uh, in that particular Bible that we're handing out, it's page 675 that we're going to be looking at. In, the, in Scripture today, 675. This is Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be starting in verse 7. And, and like I say, this is really one section. Verse 1 through 16 is one big section, but I wasn't, didn't want to try to cover it all in one week, so I'm breaking up into two weeks. If you missed last week where we talked about unity, then you can go online and, and hear that one. Um, I think it'll lay a good uh, sort of foundation for this week. But uh, this week will make sense without that um, as we move forward. Ephesians 4, verse 7, we find this. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, but rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, and from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What I want us to look at this morning is this call to embrace our place in the community of the church, the body, the church. 
Paul's giving us this great call to embrace our place. And, and I'd like us to ponder four big things that come out of this passage together. It's going to be a big vision, a big challenge, a big help, and a big responsibility. We'll start with a big vision. God has a big vision for the church. We've been looking at this over the last few weeks, and so I'm not going to spend much time on this at all. Again, you can go back and listen to the other sermons in chapter 3 where we see really outlined God's vision for the church. Um, He's going to take dead people and make them alive. That's pretty magnificent already. He's going to reconcile uh, enemies, taking the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, Think of the worst rift, racial divide that you can think of in the world today. That's what this one was like. And in the gospel... God was healing that racial divide and demonstrating not only to the people on earth, but to the angels in heaven, his magnificent wisdom by doing it. In fact, it says in Ephesians 3 that it's going to be through that reconciliation, through the, through the making dead people alive in Christ, and then the reconciliation of these races, that the angels are going to be peering down from heaven and see God's wisdom, and it's going to fuel their praise. They've been waiting since the fall to see what God would do with the broken humanity. How will he fix it? And the answer is the gospel, and the gospel lives takes life, takes form in the church. And the angels look into the church and they see these people being brought together and they praise God. That's the big vision that God has for the church. And it all happens as we grow in Christ. Look with me in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, that phrase, mature manhood, is interesting. What seems really to be talking about there is this idea that we would become together one body. And you'll see later on, he'll talk about when we're not doing this, we become many disparate children running in different directions. But when we are growing and maturing, we become together one one body together. That's the vision, the grand vision that God has for the church, and it's awesome. But we quickly encounter that there's a, also with it a very big challenge, and that's our next point. And the challenge is in the, the environment in which the church is intended to grow and to blossom and to take shape. It's in a dynamic world filled with all kinds of conflicting ideas. Just think about your week and all the different ideas that you run into, all the different perspectives and worldviews that you encounter just even in a given day. And many of these are not going in the right direction. Many of them are harmful and hurtful when in relation to God's plan for human beings and their flourishing. And he says, Paul says in this section that we've read, he calls it, that they're filled with human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. And you can see under that two forces that are at work in our world. It's the sinfulness of of human beings, which often aims its ideas and the constructions of its ideas towards the fulfillment of the self. And then also below that you see in the word deceitful and deception, which is Similar words we use when we talk about spiritual, negative, evil spiritual powers. And so you see these two forces in the world that want to bring all kinds of deceitful schemes, which are sin resident in all human beings and spiritual evil, which is resident in our world. And these two combine 
to suggest to us thoughts and feelings and values that are contrary to God's will for human beings, to, to what He intended them to be and how he, and he, he wanted them to flourish. And many of the ideas that we encounter are subtle, right? We don't like to admit that we are impressionable as human beings. We like to think that we can sort through all of the various ideas that come towards us and pick out the truth. But the reality is, and tests have shown this over and over again, that human beings are very impressionable. And what you marinate in ends up shaping what you think. I was on the soccer field a few years back, and um, when the kids start soccer, they're usually co-ed. And one of the dads said of his daughter, who was playing with my son, um, you know, maybe eight years old or so, she seems to show uh, a tendency towards masculinity. And so we're wondering if maybe she's homosexual. Father said of her, his eight-year-old daughter. Now, I grant to you that as young people struggle, have struggled with same-sex attraction throughout generations, the church has often done a very poor job of stewarding that process and been harmful in many ways. And yet at the same time, we have to be so careful that we don't unwittingly encourage impressionable minds towards things that are contrary to God's will. I don't know what this father did, so I'm not judging him in any way. But it raises the question, how do we steward these ideas? Especially among people who are so impressionable like us. And here we are in the Bay Area, right? We're marinating in all kinds. This is sort of the, this is one of the seedbeds of all kinds of ideas. And we're marinating in it. And it's true that when we marinate in the wrong sauce, it leaves us with what verse 14 comes to, so that we may no longer be children, because this is the condition. We we end up being tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And some of us feel like we are being tossed to and fro in a world of conflicting ideas. We feel like children, the verse says, at the mercy of forces greater than us. And that's the challenge for the church. How does the church continue towards the vision that God has for her in a dynamic environment where there are so many different ideas, many of which result from cunning and deceitful motives and would pull us away from the flourishing that God has for us. Which is why we need our third big one, which is a big help. What is the big help that God has given us? And it's really clear in this text. What is the big help that God has given us to address the challenge that's in front of us. And it's simply this. It's spiritual gifts. The church is made strong 
through the variety of spiritual gifts that God has sprinkled throughout the body. Look with me in verse 7 again. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. That's a quote from Psalm 68. We'll talk about that in a minute. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? Now, some have taken this to mean that he went into hell. And so some of you, maybe if you come from a Catholic tradition, have this conception that Jesus Christ went into hell after he died on the cross. And there's one other place in Scripture that, that, that could lend to this kind of view. But probably the better part of wisdom suggests that this descending is from heaven into earth itself, into the, all the parts of earth. Um, Jesus came into earth to do his work. He descended into earth, and then he descended through his resurrection far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So the church meets the challenges of existing in a dynamic environment by being built up, by growing in strength, by becoming more vibrant, becoming more strong, becoming more mature. And in that way, we meet the challenges of our environment, whatever they might be. Now, two background points that are really important. Psalm 68, we must know, that is quoted there in the passage that I just read in verse 8. Psalm 68 is a psalm of triumphal procession. The Lord, in His victory, goes up to the temple. And the picture is that as he is making his way to the temple, he's receiving gifts and giving gifts out. And for our particular past, for our particular conversation, this is really important because now it's being applied to the person of Jesus Christ and the ascension of Jesus Christ. And so the gift giving to the, to the people within the body of Christ, we must understand, is sourced in Jesus' victory at the cross and His ascension in the resurrection. That's the, that's the source of the gift-giving throughout the body of Christ that makes us strong to meet the challenges of our environment. Now, how does that work? Well, in the, on the cross, you know, Jesus took into Himself the sin of humankind and the penalty of that sin He endured on the cross and it wasn't just the physical death, but it was the separation from the Father, which would have been much more painful. They existed in perfect unity from all eternity, and on the cross they were separated. And so none of us has ever experienced that kind of separation from God that Jesus endured. But in doing so, He took all the consequence of sin into Himself, and when we come to Jesus Christ in faith, we are cleansed from sin by His atoning sacrifice. And what that does is makes possible God's very residence in us. 
because we have been cleansed, this is the, the temple of our souls has been, have been cleansed so that God can take up residence by His Spirit. And with the coming of the Holy Spirit comes the bringing of gifts to serve the rest of the body, to build up the body and make the body strong to be able to meet the challenges of this world. So the gift giving comes from the victory, the ascension of Jesus Christ and His cross and resurrection. That's the first background. The second one is that gifts are people. This is interesting to me. We often think of gifts as things. But did you know that people themselves can be gifts to others? And the background for this is in Numbers 18.6. And let me read it to you. We'll put it up on here. And behold, this is God speaking, I have taken your brothers, the Levites. Do you remember in Israel, there were all the different tribes, and the Levites were set aside for the work in the temple. Behold, I've taken your brothers, the Levites, from among the people of Israel. Listen to this. They are a gift to you, given to the Lord. So there's most of the giving, they're given to the Lord, and then it's given to the people to do the service of the tent of meeting. And most scholars see that background in this text, that God has given gifts to his people, and those gifts are other people. They're part of the people to serve and bless the community so that the church will be built up and made strong. In the Old Testament, it was the Levites, but here in Ephesians, we have numerated five different kinds of gifts in people given to the church. They're the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And there's a whole ton of other gifts that are given to the community, which we'll get into later. But first of all, these five, since they're identified in this text, apostles, prophets, Evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Let me quickly define those. The apostles are sort of the sent ones. That's what the root of that word is. So in our day, it would be people like church planters who go out to start new churches, missionaries who go to places to start new churches. Probably in the background of this text, we have the apostles, the 12, but also this concept uh, is in the, in the background of it that the, the ones who are sent, the initial kind of forerunners, important for the church. The prophets are the next one. And the essence of the prophet is in this context, is the truth teller, the one who calls the community back to the, the doctrine and, and the, right, the right belief and, and the proper understanding of who God is. The, 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 the apostles and the prophets are always at each other because the, the apostles want to get out there and do, and the prophets want to say, but wait, we've got we to do it the right way. And it's great that they're in tension because the church needs that, and it'll be stronger if it has it. And then you add to that the evangelists. Those are the ones who, who have the, the, the preaching of the gospel. Now, we're all called to proclaim the gospel in the world. As, as, so you, you can't say, I, I'm not an evangelist. Somebody else will tell pe- somebody about Jesus. No, that's not. But some people are especially gifted to be evangelists, and that's the main focus of their work. And so we have the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. And then we have the shepherds. Um, these are the ones who pastor. And then we also have the teachers. And these are, these are the ones who have that gift of clarity. They can talk about the truths of God with a dimension, an incredible clarity, such that people understand when, when the teachers are teaching, the light bulb goes off in the people of God and they understand who God is more fully. 
And it's the combination of all of these together and many other gifts that we'll get into that make the community of faith strong. Now, these last two, the shepherd and the teacher, are closely tied to the concept of elder elsewhere in the scriptures. Um, They use the similar kind of language, and so most people who read this see these as a reference to that same gift that we see in the elder. Now, so let me make a little side note here. You know that that in our church right now, those of you who are members or have been around for a while, we're going through a process of defining and identifying elders for our congregation. We've always had leaders in a church council, but we felt like we wanted to take on the language of elder because it's scriptural and because we need it. And here's what this passage says, and because it is a gift to the church to make the church stronger. So without them... We're leaving something on the table that God has for us to be made stronger. He's given us a gift, but we're, we're leaving it on the table and missing an opportunity to be, be made stronger. And, and I don't know all the wisdom of God and why He does what He does, but I can see this. It, it's, like, it's like we're fighting, we're, 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 we're standing Um, we're engaging this dynamic relationship with the world with one arm tied behind our back. Because we don't have what God has given to make us strong. And the result of that is burnout in people who then have to shoulder the load and missed opportunities where people need to be ministered to. And God has provided gifted people to minister to them, but we're not raising them up and calling them up and and releasing them to do that ministry. So this is the reason why we walk down this path. And and again, side note, we we are in conversation right now with various groups in the church. We're studying the Scripture passages to give opportunity for people to interact with the Scripture because we want it all to come out of what the the biblical teaching is. And the, and the, the idea is at the end of this, we're going to be able to identify more clearly elders in our congregation and receive the gift that God has for us so that we, as a community, can be made strong. It's part of the big help that God has given us to reach the big vision that is often thwarted by the big challenge, which is the dynamic environment in which we find ourselves. And this leads to the last point, and that is we have a big responsibility. Verse 11, let me read that to you. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers so they could do all the ministry in the church. You're not following along in your scripture, are you? Let me read that again. Follow along. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, so they could do all the ministry in the church. No. Yes, thumbs down. That's not what it says. Okay? It says to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Because you see, it's not just those gifts that God has given to the church. If we go through and look at the, the various passages in the New Testament and sort of line up all the gifts that God has lavishly given to the church, to everybody who's come to faith, as soon as, as, soon as the atoning fact, sacrifice of Christ is, is applied to your life, you are cleansed 
and made ready for the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit brings a gift to you, for you, so that you can be part of building up the body of Christ, the church. Every believer has a gift or more. Administration, helps, healing, wisdom, knowledge, faith, hospitality, serving, giving, giving, compassion. The list could go on. And probably we don't even know all the gifts. They're not all listed in the New Testament. It's sort of suggestive of these are the kinds of things that God gives to his people so that they can be building up the rest of the community. If you're, if you're withholding your gift, you're diminishing, you're impoverishing God's church. Okay, we'll get into that a little bit more. But this is an interesting thing. I was, um, this responsibility idea I'm thinking about. I was listening to some tapes. They were playing them on the radio of Nelson, when Nelson Mandela came to power. Uh, you know the story in South Africa. Um, years and years and years of apartheid, and so the black Africans were oppressed by this very small minority year in and year out, and then, you know, uh, Mandela ended up in prison for decades, and he finally got out of prison, and they had an election, and they voted for the first time to have a black African be the president of South Africa. And so the recording that I was listening to was with uh, many black Africans who were there on that day when Mandela was voted in and they were, they were inaugurating him. And, and, and this one eyewitness is describing the moment. And I thought it was very poignant about this idea of, of ownership and responsibility. And, 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 and he said, I was, we were standing there and we were celebrating that finally somebody like us was president. And right at that moment, the South African Air Force came flying overhead with their jets screaming above us, and we all looked up, and all of a sudden we felt, those are our jets. Imagine for decades, those jets had represented oppression to them and some other regime that was, and now, because Mandela had stepped in, they had this tremendous sense that those are our jets. Now let me tell you something, as a Christian, you follow Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ has ascended to heaven. He's been inaugurated, so to speak. And what that means now is that this is your church. It's your church. It's not somebody else's church. It's your church. And the same sense of responsibility and ownership that those black Africans had when they saw those jets in a totally new perspective is the kind of responsibility and ownership that we're to have when we look around the people in the room. This is a terrible setup for the church. You understand? To be sitting here and listening to one person talk. Now, I think we have to do it because we got to get into the scripture. But at the end of the day, if this is our conception of church, we've sorely missed what it means to be the church. The church is a community of people, each one taking responsibility, each one bringing their gift to serve the other. And we do that in formal ways. Maybe you step into being a home group leader and so you're a shepherd. But we also do it in all kinds of informal ways. We just serve. Sometimes you don't even realize what your gift is, but everybody else does because you keep using it on them. 
It just comes out of you. It's the Holy Spirit. And when you, when you nurture that and accept the responsibility, then it's going to come out of you all the more and just be that much more of a blessing. Do you understand? This is, look around at the people, okay? This, you don't look up here and say, this is my church. You look around at the people and you say, this is my church. These are my, they belong to me and I belong to them. We are members one of the other. We'll get into that next week. Members one of each other. And we take responsibility for one another. And guess what? We've been given a special gift to share with one another. And we need to release it. So, if you get that, okay, these are our jets now. This is our, these are our people now. This is our church now. If you get that sense of responsibility and ownership, what do you do? Well, the text gives us a very clear uh, direction. Two things to do. First of all, grow, verse 13, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are called upon to grow. And in that particular verse that I just read, we grow in the faith. The faith in this setting has to do with doctrine and knowing what the Bible teaches. That's what it has to do with. But it's also, in a relational context, the knowledge of the Son of God. So it's not dry, dead doctrine. It's doctrine about a living God who was raised from the dead and wants to have living, daily relationship with you right now. It's both and. It's, it's doctrine in relational context. And it's a relational context vertically and horizontally because doctrine is also living in the midst of us as we function as community. So it's relational doctrine. We see the same thing in, uh, in verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. You see, the truth is another way of talking about doctrine there. It's not... When it says speaking the truth in love, we, we modern types, we think, oh, that's like telling people the hard thing, right? Because we say, you know, i gotta, I got to speak the truth. And that is one way to use that phrase. But here, it refers to speaking the truth. It's, it's the teaching, the body of teaching that comes out of the Scriptures. What we refer to as doctrine. It uses the word doctrine right above that. The, the, the true body of teaching that comes out of the Scriptures that will make us mature and strong. But it's in love. So you have the relational doctrine piece there again. It's not some dead, dry body of information. It's truth about a living God in the context of a vibrant community. That's what we're to grow into. And I want to invite you to push yourself in the area of doctrine. I'd hazard to guess that you're probably learning lots of things these days. What do they say? Like, the New York Times has more information in it than, you know, the 18th, 17th century person would experience in their whole life. I'm guessing you're learning a lot of things these days. I mean, the relentless Twitter feed, the relentless Instagram, the relentless Snapchat, the relentless Facebook, that old thing that we still kind of use, you know. Um, all the all these the relentless email um, email for those of you under thirty is what people use when 
They want to communicate. Um, before that, it was mail. Um, and, 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 and it's just this incredible you know, mountain of information coming into our minds. But how much of it is doctrine? What percentage would you put on there is doctrine? How much are you leaning into the teachings of the Scriptures to shape your mind in all kinds of imperceptible ways so that you might be able to meet the dynamic environment? People are telling you, do this and do that and do this and do that. I, I got to... I watched a, a, a documentary on, the, on, on advertising. Oh my goodness. Do you understand how insightful these people are to get your attention? And the kinds of things they're doing. They're not just putting commercials in shows anymore. They're actually determining what the show will be about so that it leads you to buy their project, product. See, this is the cunning and the deceit. Do you understand? And if you're going to stand up against all of that, you need doctrine in your head. You need to know the Lord. You need relational doctrine. And so can you push yourself? Let's push ourselves to grow in the Scriptures, to grow in doctrine, to become mature in the teaching, in the truth, in the context of love. And then the other thing is we, we, we get this big responsibility idea. First we grow, and then we think about giving our gift. We grow and we give our gift. When, when we moved from, the, from San, Santa Barbara, my wife and I, to Chicago for me to go to seminary, right beforehand I made one of the stupidest decisions of my life. I bought this used Volkswagen Vanagon, and I got it in a really shady kind of place of L.A., and um, people told me, don't do that, you're going to get taken. Well, sure enough, you know, we get to the Rockies with this thing loaded down, and we're going 20 miles an hour, you know, up the Rockies to get over the top. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I mean, it was a slow car to begin with, but this is a little much, right? I'm in like second gear to get over the Rockies. And I get to Chicago and I take the mechanic and it turns out the thing is only working on like three cylinders, okay? It's only working on, it, it's got a blown gasket and what have you. The church, our church, I would venture to say, is only working on three cylinders. Because we are not all bringing our gifts to bear on the doing of church together and the community of faith. Maybe we're only working on two cylinders. Imagine what it would be like if we worked on four. Just, I mean... I'm really enjoying this church. I love this church. It's my favorite church I've ever been with. Right? I love it. But that doesn't mean we've arrived at all. I mean, imagine if we're only, what if we're only half of what we could be? Because we're not bringing our gifts, every single one of us, to the table. That's what Paul wants us to do. He says, when we do that, we're going to have... Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the vision. So let's bring it. Let's bring our gifts 
And some of this is going to be formal gift bringing, like you're going to step into a leadership role or a serving role. And a lot of it's just going to be what we've been saying, the private ministries that happen within a home group or anywhere else where people just see a need and they meet it. You don't have to wait for official confirmation to love somebody in the community of faith. Just release your gift, whatever it is. And if you don't know what your gift is, we've worked hard to to try and help you figure that out. Um, On our Opiso uh, blog, opiso.org, there is a spiritual gifts inventory. I think we even just um, re-edited it again, so it's, it's there fresh and ready for you. If you, and it'll, you know, it's not perfect, but what it's going to do is it's going to help you. You're going to take this little inventory, and it's going to help you figure out what is your spiritual gift. And so then you can be a little bit more conscious in the way that you deploy your gift in the world around you, in this community. And if you know what your gift is, then can we, can we get moving with this? Don't wait for permission, but if you need help, Email or contact somebody uh, in leadership and we'll walk you through to help you do that. But don't just wait for permission. Get going with your gift. Use it. Um, Let's explore how you can use it. Let's talk about opportunities and needs and possibilities. And let's unleash really the potential of the church in this place. It's overwhelming to be doing church in the least churched area of the country. But the strength of God is much greater than whatever would overwhelm us. And it's mediated through the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit dispenses the gifts in the church. And as we grow in maturity and give through our gifts, we are going to meet whatever challenge the world brings. We're going to surpass it. In the middle of it, we're going to see the gospel shining, displayed for the earth, for the world, and for heaven. Felix Mendelssohn had it right. He said, the essence of the beautiful is unity and variety. And yes, music is one of the most, one of the sweetest places to see that truth come alive in unity and variety, all the different instruments playing, and it makes this one sound which is beautiful. But I'll tell you something, maybe a well-functioning church is even greater. Maybe a well-functioning church is even greater than that. When the gifts are coming out and all the different instruments are being played and unity becomes tangible in the world because of what Jesus Christ has done. So Lord, would you help us? Help us to grow in our understanding of you and help us to give out of the giftedness you've given to us that we might bring glory to you, that we might display your goodness to the world around us and to the angels in heaven and that all might worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.